Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Throughout the season of Lent, we are focusing more on prayer and the Lord's Prayer, and uh, of course, my own children then come to me and like, Dad, we don't pray enough as a family. Let's start praying more. Well, like, to be honest, one of my children says this. And I'm like, okay, okay, we'll start praying some more together. And uh, so we sit down and pray. And when I was, when they were much younger, of course, I would say kind of all the prayers for them. And they're getting older. So I'm like, why don't you lead out and pray? Why don't you uh, offer this prayer? And so my kids will start to lead out. And I can tell you exactly how it will always start. One child, it'll always start, dear God, give me more Legos. Or... Dear God, the other child, dear God, please give us a vacation to Hawaii. And I'm like, well, is this, is this what we want to do? Is this the kind of prayer that we're looking for? I don't know how it kind of got worked into their systems, but they tend to think of prayer as asking this cosmic giant for stuff that they want. I don't know where they learned that from, Santa Claus, but it kind of grinds against my gears a little bit. I'm like, I don't think that that's what prayer is. It's not just asking God, putting in your prayer quarter, and asking the cosmic bending machine in the sky to give you what you want. Although, to be honest, I do do that from time to time. There are moments when I'm like, God, I really want this thing to happen right now. A couple weeks ago, we were on an airplane that would not take off because right behind me, in the seat right behind me, was somebody who just turned three years old. And because they were just three, they couldn't sit in their parents' lap. They had to sit in their own chair and put their own seatbelt on. And this child was not having it. And we couldn't leave, we couldn't take off. And so we were, we were waiting 15, 20 minutes and flight attendant after flight attendant came by to tell the parents what the parent has already heard three or four times, that this child needs to quiet down, this child needs to be in their own seat. And I was getting kind of like, oh boy, I was like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I go, oh, I'm a pastor, I can say a prayer. So I paused, I said a little prayer, and, uh, and I was like, God, fix this kid. No, I didn't say it like that. <laughs> but I was like, God, help this situation. And I kid you not, immediately, this child stopped crying and we were off. And I was like, it's amazing. Joanna was across the aisle from me, so I texted her real quick because I hadn't had my phone on airplane mode yet. And I was like, I just prayed. I just did this. This was awesome. <laughs> and she was like, Rick, you're a pastor. That's not how prayer works. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, a win's a win, right? No, I don't think prayer is like that. I don't think that God is just waiting for us to do something, for us to pray. That God is like, I would love to help this situation, but let me just see if these people really want it. You know, I don't think God operates that way. I think God is always at work in every moment. God is loving and wooing and bringing people closer and closer to blessing and and benefit. But God does ask us to pray. and And I think that prayer is this thing that we do that through words or images or songs or art, whatever, these are all tools to help bring something that's deep inside of us to something that's deep inside of God, to connect in a deep 
and spiritual way. That's what we're trying to do so that we are formed by God, so that we bring God back into the center of our lives, so that the wobble of our own lives, the wobble of this world, settles down and runs more smoothly. That's what prayer is. But as the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, we do come across requests. There is a teaching that we are to petition God, that we are to ask God for the things that we need. The whole Lord's Prayer, as the disciples are learning, are these different petitions of God. The first three petitions, God is the object. The first three things that we ask of God is for God to be magnified. The first one is God um, may, or hallowed be thy name is the traditional language, but there is a verb there. It's saying, God, keep your name holy. God, keep us wondering and amazed at the mystery of your identity and who you are. Lord God, continue to amaze us. Let your kingdom come in this world. Let that alternative community, let that alternative way of organizing society come and be established, an alternative way that's not based on violence, oppression, or rigging the market but a way where everyone is free, where God is on top, where uh, everybody has enough. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Be our guide. Follow, or teach us where to go so that things on earth will be like things in heaven where you are at the center of all things. Those are the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And then we move to ourselves. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. What is this petition teaching us? It is teaching us to pray and ask for the things that we need because we realize and recognize that we do not have the power to provide for ourselves. That is what give us this day our daily bread means. God, we don't have the power to provide for ourselves. It's obviously an allusion to ancient Israel and ancient Egypt, where God saw the plight of the Israelites as slaves, and God said, I, the God above all gods, the authority above Pharaoh, I hear the cries of the lowest of the low, and I'm going to do something about it. And so God recruits Moses, and God through Moses, sets the people free, move them out of oppression, move them out of that empire where the Pharaoh tells the gods what to do, moves them out of the empire where uh, violence and fear keeps people in order, moves them out of the empire where the economics are rigged to favor those on top. He moves them out of that empire towards a promised land, towards an alternative community. But between Egypt and the promised land, there is a desert. And you heard, as Ted read, that the people cried out to God, God, what are we doing here? Why on earth would you bring us out here to starve? It would have been better for us to be in that oppressive empire of Egypt. At least there we could eat. The Israelites had not yet learned to trust in God 
for their needs. Instead, they continued to trust in the ways of Egypt, continued to trust in that empire of oppression, violence, rigged economy. That's how they can eat. To this group, God says, I'm gonna show you something. I'm gonna teach you how to trust in me. I'm going to give you bread, magic bread. It's gonna be great. You're gonna wake up in the morning and there's going to be dew on the ground and when the dew dries, there will be this flaky stuff. Grind that up and make bread out of it. They called it manna, which literally means what is this stuff, right? But here's the thing. But here's the thing, it's only good for one day. And so God will provide for you for this day. But whatever you don't eat this day, it's going to turn to mold and it'll be useless the next day. But don't worry because tomorrow there's going to be fresh manna for you. Trust in the manna that's coming tomorrow. Wow. And through this practice, God is shaking them free of their trust in the empire and teaching them to trust him. The story goes on and the people are like, uh, God, we appreciate the magic bread and everything, but it's getting kind of old. <laughs> it's getting kind of stale. Man, back when we were in the empire, man, we had quail, we had meat. God says, all right, I'll hook you up. In the evenings, there will be birds, quail on the ground. You can hunt and have meat in the evenings and bread in the mornings. And by this, you will learn to trust in me. You will learn that everything you have, your existence comes from me. Trust in me. I will provide for you. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's teaching them not to treat God like a cosmic vending machine, but he's teaching them to understand that they, just like the Israelites in the desert, are fully dependent on God for everything they need. Which is an incredibly offensive teaching for people in a culture like ours, right? This is not what we teach. We teach self-reliance. We teach that you have to provide for yourself, that you have to be an earner, that what's on your table is up to you. There, uh, there's an old Simpsons episode, forgive me for uh, talking about the Simpsons up here, but what, there, there they ask Bart Simpson, the boy, to, to pray for the meal, and he gets up and he says, dear Lord, we provided, we worked hard and provided the food on this table, so thanks for nothing, right? Which is kind of the American prayer. We did this. This, is, this was earned by myself. We believe in this myth that if you want to be cared for, provided for, you have to work and provide for it. That it's up to you. We know that it's a myth, but we keep it up, right? We idolize hard work and, and self-sufficiency. We have to lift it up. Otherwise, how are we going to get our kids to do their homework, right? <laughs> but we know, we know that there's so much more than hard work that puts food on our tables if we think about it. We know that there's chance that has landed us in the places that we've been. 
when we start to believe that it's all based on our power and what we've done, we start to think maybe, especially if we've done well for ourselves, maybe we start to believe our own hype and start to think, actually, I did do this. I am this good. And when, by chance, ruin or heartache or disaster might strike somebody, if we believe fully in this hype of self-sufficiency that we have done this ourselves, we tend to think, oh, those people did something wrong. They did this to themselves if they've hurt themselves, if, they're, if they find themselves in disasters. But when we scratch the surface a little bit, we know that there's so much more involved than just my own hard work. We know that there are so many things in play that threaten our lives. Disaster, ruin, could be around the corner. We know that there's more at work. And so then the Lord's Prayer teaches us to look to God and say, God, we depend on you for everything. Now, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we don't work hard. I'm, you're, you know, Pastor, are you saying that we should quit our jobs and look for manna on the ground tomorrow morning? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that everything we have, everything that we even earn, is also a gift. Think about it this way. Um, the... Uh, there's a poet by the name of Wendell Berry. He's an American uh, poet that uh, has a lot to say about Christianity, economics, and farming. And he says that the farmer knows something that maybe we've forgotten. The further we get away from working the ground, we might forget this. The farmer knows that no seed goes into the ground except through hard work. But the farmer also knows that no fruit comes out of the seed except by grace. Work and grace work in tandem with one another. And so yes, we bring our hard work, but we kid ourselves if we think that the produce of our hard work is all because of us. It is a gift from God. God's grace is woven into everything we do. God's grace is woven even into our work. Sometimes it's easier for us to see this and think about this than others. It's, it's kind of easy for me to understand this and think that my paycheck and what I quote-unquote earn is actually a gift from God. It's easy for me to think about this because, quite literally, the money that I have is a gift from you guys, right? Right? I live based on your generosity. My kids eat based on your gifts. So everything that comes into me through a paycheck is a gift. And when I think about it that way, boy, it changes how I hold that money. It changes how I think about the way I spend. It changes my idea about gratitude. Can we start to think and see how God is at work in everything we do? So even through our jobs, it is a gift. That even as we work, we depend on God for absolutely everything. It's hard for us to think of that, about these things. 
every time we think about providing, we are drawn to think about how to, uh, how to earn. Thinking in gifts is hard for us. It's hard for us to ask for things. It's hard for us to imagine that gift just exists, that God is just giving it to us. We always want to compare and earn. In John's gospel, Jesus has, has been teaching and he's got this group of 5,000, maybe 10,000, maybe 15,000, a huge amount of people on the hill waiting or listening to him. And the day goes on and Jesus says, okay, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip pipes up and he goes, we can't. His brain goes automatically to earning. He says, half a year's salary wouldn't be enough to give everybody a nibble. We can't provide. We have to turn them away. And I imagine Jesus kind of gives them a side eye like, have you learned nothing? I just walked on water yesterday. What are you doing? What are you talking about? You can only think about provision through your own means of earning. You can't think that there's more going on that God gives. So another Andrew comes up and he says, well, we got this kid. Uh, he's, he's volunteering, but all he has is five little loaves and two fish. And Jesus goes, yeah, this kid gets it. This kid gets it. He understands what's happening here. I wonder why he gets it. I, I have this crazy hypothesis that I think that the boy gets it because I don't think the boy earned that food that he was carrying with him. I think that boy that day, the five pieces of bread and the two fish that he was carrying it around, I bet somebody gave that to him. I bet his parents gave it to him. I bet he didn't work chores in order to get that food. I bet that that food in his little sack was a gift, and he understood it as gift. And because he understood his bread as gift, he could hold it lightly because he trusted his parents to probably give him another lunch tomorrow. He trusted that his bread was always going to come. So in the face of great need, he was ready to offer it up. And God says, I can work with gratitude like this. I can work with gifts like this. So Jesus takes the bread, he gives thanks to God, he divides it, gives, divides it, gives, divides it, gives, and everybody eats. Everybody has everything they need. Because this boy was operating in an economy of gift. Everything he has is a gift. And so he can hold loosely the gifts that he has because he's betting on the fact that more gift is coming. Mm. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray like that. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need today because we know that we depend on you. We trust in you to provide for us today. And we trust in you to provide for us tomorrow. And we trust in you to provide for us the next day because everything we have is a gift when we confess that we are needy, we simultaneously sing a song of gratitude. When we recognize that all of this is a gift, 
we can live lives with gratitude. We can give thanks to God for our paychecks. We can give thanks to God for the food on our tables. Even though we put in some work, even though we put in our effort, it's still all a gift. And when we recognize that everything we have is a gift, we can act like that boy and live more open-handedly. These were gifts that were given to me. I bet more gifts are coming. So if somebody has some need, here's my bread and here's my fish. I got a report uh, a, month or, a month ago. I had talked about our church and I talked about our finances and where we are. And, and, you know, we're doing well because a lot of our church staff and ministry teams are cutting back on expenses, right? We're trying to save um, on expenses. And so I said to you all, um, there's, there's a few things around here that we don't have that we need. Ovens, AED machines, monitors, microphones, keyboards, things like this. And I was like, you know, if you have more, if you have what you need, and if you have more to give, um, if there's something on here that touches your heart, go ahead and let us know. And within three weeks, everything was taken care of, either pledged or the money had already come in, right? Because you know what I'm talking about when it comes to gratitude. You know what I mean when we say everything we have is a gift from God, and so I can carry with an open hand these gifts that God gave me, and if those are in need around me, I can give more. That is a heart of gratitude. That is a heart that will change our world. We don't depend on an economy of oppression. We don't depend on an empire that, ri that rigs the system. We depend on God for every good gift. We continue to work. We continue to work with God, but we acknowledge that we depend on God. So I'm thankful that my children uh, pray the way that they do. <laughs> I'm thankful that they pray and, uh, because they believe that Legos don't come from their own hard work but from the good hand of God, which is true, which is true. I hope to train them out of some more selfish prayers, right? <laughs> but as we go to God for things that we need, we aren't going to God as some sort of transactional machine, some sort of like cosmic Rubik cube that if we say the right prayer, we'll get the right outcome from God. But when we go to God in need, we do pray in a way that says, God, I understand that everything I have comes from you, that I am fully dependent on you. And so please provide the things that I need. When we pray these things, it's not like God saying, hey, I was waiting for you to pray that, now I will help you. When we pray these things, God says, you are my child and I love you and I will care for you. Trust in me. Got a couple of questions for us as we think about these words and this line in the Lord's Prayer. The first one is, you know, what keeps you from asking for help, from God or from others? We do live in this very highly individualistic society where we are told that we have to take care of ourselves. That's not the economy that God has set up. God has set up an economy of grace and giving and gift. 
And so we can ask for help. There is help out there. What keeps you from asking for help? Secondly, how does a gift, an economy of gift, that everything is a gift, how's that change your relationship to your own possessions? The things that you have, the things that you enjoy. How do we enjoy them more knowing that they are gifts? How do we hold them loosely knowing that they are gifts and that God will continue to provide gifts? And then finally, what role does gratitude play in your life? Oh man, if we forget to be thankful, we start to buy, we start to believe our own hype that I have done this, that this is because of me, that look how great things are going because of how awesome I am. That's a slippery, slippery slope. But if we pause regularly in amazement and wonder, say, how in the world did I get where I'm at? God is so good. Thank you. It motivates us and moves us to be more joyful for sure, but also to be ready to help and care for others. So that when we look at somebody who is hurting, who has fallen into a predicament, we don't say, oh, they gotta take care of themselves better. They gotta fix their own situation. We say, how can I help? What extra loaves of bread and fish do I have around here that can help? Hmm. When we are grateful people, we find our place in God's universe. We find ourselves ready to be used by God. Give us today our daily bread. Let's take a moment to think about these things. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.com. Dot org, or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.